0: So today we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. We're going to be finishing up in chapter 20 today. And, uh, you know, as I continue to learn all these things about the book of Revelation, to me it's, um, it's very refreshing. I, I just love to study God's word. And when I see God's character in all this, I continue to um, have to emphasize what we've been emphasizing every Sunday here, and that is that all of this is about God wanting to redeem mankind. Yeah, God's judgments are real, and they're eternal, and they're unchanging. But his purpose, everything he does, the purpose of everything that he does, and is about, his character is about redemption. And I hope that that's what we are getting out of here, out of this study, is that we're finding God's character to be one of faithfulness, one of salvation, one of redemption, and one of His purity is holiness. And you know, as we talked earlier already this morning in our service, that I don't know about you, but I think you must be getting tired of the corruption that we're facing in this world. It is just unrelenting the... Um, deceitfulness, the lying that's happening above us and around us. And I can remember in my lifetime, and it wasn't that long ago where I thought I could trust our government, I thought I could trust our officials over us, and that, that these people that were making decisions for us, the ones that we elected to make these decisions, were really making them in our best interest, that they were representing us as our government was set up to do. And that we were on the same team, the same values. And it is disheartening to see all the ways that they have betrayed us. And I say it because by saying that, it motivates me to continue to study God's word because he's, there's coming a day when we're going to experience God's perfect justice. That, to me, is worth living for. Even if we have to go through this hard time, even if we have to struggle through the times that we're in today, um, it just only emphasizes to me and brings to light how much uh, joy we're going to find when we're under a perfect judgment system, where we can trust, really trust those that are above us. And uh, so that's what this teaching of Revelation has taught us, and that's where we're at today. So, as we finish chapter 20, what we know is that this is a step-by-step process of passing through time. That we are now at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign. That Satan has been released for a period of time to go through the world one last time to deceive as many people as he can. And he's very successful because he acqu- he he, um, he acquires a large army that... Comes against God's city at the end of the revel- at the end of the millennial reign to war against God one more time. And we have to remember that those that are living in their flesh bodies in this millennial reign, which is not us by the way, we need to recognize that we always have to remember that once the rapture happens and the church ages over and the church has been raptured into the new heaven, or not into the new heaven, but into heaven and the tribulation and all those things, events, that we never come back to our flesh. (laughs) We are always and will always be in a spiritual body where we will be above all of this, but yet we will experience it, we'll witness it, we'll be a part of it. So therefore, it's important that we teach about it. But for those people that have lived through the tribulation and have now entered into the millennial reign as humans, they will live, many of them, through that full 1000 years and in fact the only reason they would die is because they have allowed the sin of their adamic nature because remember the heart of a man is evil and it will be evil even even in the millennial reign satan has been Vanquished for a thousand years, but yet the Adam, the 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 nature of humanity will still be evil. Even though we're in a perfect environment, even though that Jesus is the perfect ruler, and there's no reason to rebel, and for those that do rebel against God at that time, will be immediately judged by Jesus because he will rule with an iron rod and a scepter, and we'll be part of that judgment system. Somehow, some way, I don't know. I don't understand all that. Um, It's not clear, but we have to recognize that the humans at that time will be under a a very immediate judgment system. Different than today, because today we're under grace. And today, as we're going to understand as we get through this today, that we can live evil and think we're good today. That's the twisted nature of our society today, that right is wrong and wrong is right and now this takes us to our text so our text today is beginning at verse 11 revelation 20 verses 11 through 15 and that our text says then this is john speaking then i saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them and i saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray for a minute. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we read this text today, we see the seriousness of judgment. We see the seriousness of what you stand for. And Lord, this is beyond our ability to comprehend it. It's beyond our comprehension, the seriousness of what this means. So I pray that you open our ears and open our eyes to see and to hear what your word says and that we would then apply it into our lives, that it would make the difference that it needs to make. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're about to study is the final judgment of God. The final judgment, meaning that God has made many judgments throughout the course of humanity. There are times that God has judged the Israelites when they failed in the desert, and he's judged other examples of, of false prophets and things, and he's made even judgments in our lives. But this at the white throne judgment, this is called the white throne judgment because this is the final judgment of God. The white throne indicates God's purity and holiness as it is He who's sitting on this throne. And maybe I should explain, when I say that it's God sitting on the throne, who is it really? More than likely, it is Jesus sitting on the throne in all of His glory, and all of His honor, and all of His power, that the men of all ages has overlooked. And now Jesus is in his rightful place of authority. The Bible records that God has given Jesus the power to judge. And I think it's only right that we understand this. John chapter 5, 22 and 23. John says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So what does this mean? I take it that it only makes sense, doesn't it, that, that after God gave Jesus the role and authority and the source, to be the source of salvation of all mankind, that he would also give Jesus the authority to be the judge of mankind. And we see Jesus now sitting on the throne as an earthly judge would sit... On in his courtroom on on the judge's bench, and it's so powerful here. I mean, there's such a an an awe of responsibility and an awe of of awesome judgment here and and holiness that even the even nature responds to this. If you go back going back to our text, it says that the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. Even nature responds to God's judgment. In scriptures, we find that nature has been groaning as in the, as in the pains of childbirth right up to this time. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22, it says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. See, God's righteousness here is so powerful that the corruption that is in nature has to be dealt with. In order to bring the new heavens and a new earth in, which we're going to talk about later, that even nature itself has to be destroyed. Second Peter 3.10, it says the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So God's righteous holiness, his purity, will even affect nature. This is how serious now we're getting into when we start talking about this, this judgment. So the question is, who then is being judged here? Who is being judged? To understand, let's go back to our text. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Verse 13, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. So John sees a multitude of dead people standing before God, awaiting their judgment. In John's Gospel, we have it recorded that, that might help us understand a little bit better who these people are that are being judged. John 5, chapter 5, verses 26 to 29, this is what John says in the Gospel of John. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son. So right now what we're saying is that Jesus is the one sitting on the throne. He's been given authority to be the judge. And there's coming a time when all the dead will hear the the voice of God, the God's Son. Verse 29, and they will rise again. They will be raised from the dead. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. So we see here that everyone will be risen from their graves. Not all at the same time, nor all for the same purpose. When we look at the rapture that happened... Remember, it says that when Jesus comes as in the rapture, that he will not touch down, he will wait in the clouds, and those that have died will rise first. Then those who are still alive will be caught up and will be together and will meet Jesus in the air. So that is the resurrection of the saints. Those are the resurrection of the people that have accepted Christ. They're the good people. They're the resurrected people. They're the redeemed people. And there's going to be another resurrection at the end of the tribulation. There'll be another rapture, another time where those that have died, the Christians that have died in the trib, or the those that accepted Christ in the tribulation and were martyred, they will also be be raptured at the end of the tribulation at the second coming of Christ, there'll be another rapture. So those, again, are righteous people that have been risen to the dead, and those who are now will be joining those in the church, and we will be in our, in our heavenly bodies, ruling with Christ for that full thousand-year millennial reign. All right. Now, at the great white throne judgment, now we're coming to another resurrection, or another people coming back from the dead, but this time, the dead that are coming are the evil people. And I say evil, but evil is sounds like it's just the really, really bad people. No, what this is, these are all the people that have rejected Christ. These are all the people that are the good people, maybe down the street, the the good guys that are just good enough, but didn't, but never receive Christ. They will rise again, and they will be now. They will now stand at the judgment seat of the great white throne judgment. Two groups, two groups. One is. To experience eternal life, the one I, the previous one I've described, they will experience eternal life. And the other, the one I just described, they will experience judgment and eternal punishment. Is this making sense? Are you following me so far? Don't want to be confusing here because this may seem to be confusing, but it's really not. It's pretty simple. Those that have received Christ are going to rise to eternal life. Those that reject Christ are going to rise to judgment. And this is what we're talking about now. The Great White Throne Judgment is their Judgment Time. So the term John, John the Revelator uses the terms great and small. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the Lord. Now who does that mean? What does this mean? This indicates that evil men of all walks and all statures will be included in this Judgment. Presidents, world leaders, politicians, doctors, lawyers, movie stars, professional athletes, judges, college professors, kings, queens, you name it, all the greatest of all people that have ever lived, if they didn't receive Christ, they will be at this judgment, as well as homeless and the people that were down and out, and were beggars, and just the common, ordinary folks that didn't receive Christ. There is no distinction here. I'm trying to make that point. Great and small means there's no distinction in this judgment. All people that have rejected Christ will be now standing before God in this final time. And these people will be standing in line with the rapists, the criminals, the drunks, the prostitutes both male and female. It doesn't make any difference. See, sin is not a respecter of persons. Sin is sin. Evil is evil. And God will judge all men on equal terms. And this is what's happening here in this scene that we're describing. It also says that they will be standing before the throne. Just like in an earthly courtroom... When the judge is ready to read the verdict, he asks the defendant to stand, right? There's been a lot of time in the courtroom, a lot of discussion. The different attorneys have been arguing their case before the jury. you got the prosecuting attorney, you got the defense attorney, and all the evidence has been weighed out. And the evidence is then given over to the jury. He goes into their jury deliberation, and when it's all said and done, and the jury foreman comes back in and says, we've received the verdict... And the the judge then calls order in the courtroom and he tells the defendant to stand up. You're gonna, I'm gonna read your judgment. And that's what's happening now. These people are standing before the eternal judge to receive their judgment. This is not a time for argument. The argument's time is over. No one escapes this time of judgment it doesn't make any difference how they died when they died what happened the condition of their bodies it doesn't make any difference they will be judged at this point verse 13 says that the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and hades gave up the dead that were in them again that indicates that it doesn't make any difference what happens to the body cremation means nothing how the body is destroyed means nothing See, when you look about the sea giving up its dead, that's kind of like, that's taking a look at it as saying that um, those that have been lost at sea, obviously those bodies have been destroyed, probably been you know eaten by fish, whatever. They're totally disseminated. It doesn't make any difference. God brings them back. He can restore that body. And that body that comes now, that eternal body, is fashioned for hell. It's fashioned to be able to feel the pain of hell forever and ever and ever again. Just like our our eternal bodies, our heavenly bodies, are designed for heaven to experience the rewards of heaven, these bodies now standing at the great great white throne judgment are designed to experience the torment of hell. That's how serious this is. Hades is the intermediate state of what we call hell today. The condition of the body is never the problem. And this fulfills what the writer of Hebrews says because it says that all men are is destined to die and then after that comes a judgment. Hebrews nine twenty seven and just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes a judgment, so there will be judged. And it doesn't again, it doesn't make a difference who you are where you died, how you died, what the condition of your body, you're going to be resurrected, they will be resurrected, and they're going to stand before God. So now the question comes up, how will they be judged? We know who's going to be judged now, but how will they be judged? According to what standards? And how can their judgment be proven to be right? You know, it's amazing how we have seen history been rewritten. It's amazing how this woke generation that we're in right now, they will look at history, and history isn't even true anymore because they can rewrite it. And they can make the wrongs of the past be the rights and the rights be the wrongs of the past. So there's a great question then as to how will we even know that God is judging righteously? How do we know? So let's go to our text. Our text will tell us. Verse 12, again, I saw the dead, great and small, standing, standing before the throne, And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 15 says, And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What are these books? Well... Our judgment, the judgment of those people, in fact, our judgment as well as a righteous person, is recorded in the books that are recorded by God. Their judgment here is based upon the books that are opened. This is not an arbitrary judgment. This isn't God just thinking, well, I'll judge this guy this way and this and you that way, and I'll give you a break and not you, and all these things. No, there's no arbitration here. This is according to the books. What are these books? Well... There's two classifications. The book of life evidently refers to the roll call of those who are saved and who have eternal life. So there's a book of life. And then there are other books that are plural in number. And these are the books recorded that record the works of people. The book of life and then the book of works. The book of life says if your name's not written in that book of life, then you're going to hell. Now, here's the interesting thing. That doesn't mean that anybody in this white throne judgment will have a second chance here. It's not an issue of maybe their, their, their name will be there. Now, maybe if that person standing in line is thinking that, maybe they're in that line thinking, boy, when they opened that book of life, my name's surely going to be in that book. And here's the sad part about it. Maybe it was at one point in time. But maybe it's been blotted out. Think about the regret that that person's going to have. But God, is, as the perfect record keeper, will be able to look at the history of every person without embellishing anything, nor does he minimize anything, but he records things exactly as things have happened. Even the things that men don't see. Here's the thing. See, God sees the condition of the heart, doesn't he? He sees the motivations of our heart. Those are the things that are written in the books. What my motives were when I did what I did. Even if it might have been apparently a good thing, if I had a bad motive, it's recorded. God knows that. Nothing sneaks by God's eyesight. And it may seem today that things are unfair, Maybe we see people today that aren't living for God, clearly aren't living for God, but yet, boy, they have a good life, don't they? They've got the big house, they've got the big boat, they've got the big car, they've got the jets, so all the other stuff going on, and we think, man, look at how they're getting away with things. But can I tell you, they're not going to get away with anything? Just know that. That we need to understand that the dead that are being judged here are being judged on the records that God has kept while these people were alive. Right or wrong. Their life is now being examined. Nothing will be hidden from God's sight. Everything will be laid bare. And now a just punishment, a just reward, a just punishment is being meted out. And maybe, seemingly, maybe for the first time, these people have ever been judged to be bad. I don't know. It just seems like it's really going to be an amazing day when that all comes together. But here's something that we can take away from this. And I think this is one of the most important points we can get here. Stop keeping your own records because God is the perfect record keeper. So stop looking at people and judging them and saying, oh, they don't deserve good. They don't deserve that. Stop worrying. It's not your problem. It's not my problem. Stop worrying about other people. And this is what we take away. This is where we need to worry about ourselves. And we need to make sure that what God is recording in my book is what I want him to read. I don't want to be embarrassed and I don't want to have regrets when God opens my book of life someday. I want want my book to say God is going to reward me with the good things that I've done. And when it's time to open the books, it's too late to add any more entries. (laughs) We're, We're making the entries now. Romans chapter 12. Paul says it this way to the Roman church. He says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Our responsibility in this, why we're teaching this now is because this is our time to make sure that we're doing right with people, that we're living holy lives on earth, we're living righteous lives to the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we're letting God be the judge. Make sense? All of God's judgments, all of God's, let me say it this way, all of God's final judgments are based on works. We need to talk about this for a minute because I said, I said something here that some people will take a, take a problem with because I said that we will be judged based on our works. And you know, people don't like to hear that. They don't like to think that we're going to be judged on our works. What this isn't saying, no, I'll recognize what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we're saved by our works, but we're going to be judged by our works. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the grace of God through the the blood of Jesus Christ who lived and died for our sins and rose again on that third day to be our our, our redemption. That's how we're saved, for the fact that we believe in Jesus as the only way to the Father. And we've now accepted that and we've asked Him to forgive us. We've repented of our sins. That is the free gift of salvation. Amen? We get that, right? No confusion about that. But yet... God's final judgments to us and to the evil people are going to be judged a judgment of works. There's a big difference there. But it's very important that we understand that that the judgment that is coming based upon our works will either judge our works for rewards if we're godly people, or it will be a judgment of punishment for the ungodly people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is for the righteous judgment. that We all must appear before the, right, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, done while well in the body, whether good or bad. See, this is not a judgment of salvation. This is a judgment of our works. No one at this point in time at the judgment seat of Christ will will be at the risk of losing salvation, but we will be at the risk of losing rewards. The judgment, this judgment happens after we're safely in heaven, we're after the rapture of the church, and we're before the second coming of Christ. We're in the tribulation period is where well, the judgment seat of Christ for the believers is, is made. So we we as believers need to recognize we as well will be judged for our works. And we need to recognize that because that's a good thing, because that, that helps us, that should motivate us to get off our church pews and get out and be effective in the world. To go out and live for the world, live for Jesus in the world, be an evangelist in the world. Just as the dead are being judged for the evil, the righteous are going to be judged according to the good works that they've done. We are earning rewards, and there's nothing wrong with recognizing that. There's nothing wrong with us recognizing that what we're doing here is going. To, we're going to be held accountable to it. And I know a lot of people don't like to think, we like to think about God's grace and God's mercy, which is, is amazing. I get that, totally understand that, and appreciate that. But I also have to remember that God is a perfect record keeper of my life, too, of my attitudes, of my motivations, of why I do what I do. God's observing that and is recording that. And I, I don't say this to, to bring intimidation. I don't say this to make you fearful of God. I, but I do, make, I do say it to give us an awesome respect of God. I do think it's important that we have to fear God more than we fear men. Fearing God means that I do things to, to please God, my Father in heaven. I don't do things on earth to just please men at the expense of pleasing God. Now, I don't have a problem pleasing men. I don't have a problem doing things that are, are good. But I don't do it if it's an immoral thing. I don't do it if it's a compromise to anything that God would expect me to do. I'll always, refer, I'll always um, fall back on obeying God more than I will obey men. Does that make sense? I hope so. You know, there was a comment made, I think there was very a, a good comment made by Greg's cousin at his funeral about the dash in life. In other words, where if you go to a tombstone, you'll see a, the person was born on this date, and there'll be a dash and then it'll be born, died on this date, right? And that little dash is often just something there to show that there was a time span between birth and death. Well, I'll tell you, that little dash is huge because what happens for my life in my little dash between my birth and my, my death That little dash, as small as it is, will impact the eternal timeline of my life forever and ever and ever. How I live in that dash, how you live in in the dash of your life, will determine your eternal destination. Not just your eternal destination, but your level of reward as a Christian in that destination. And I believe also a level of punishment for those that are in eternal hell. Let's keep on. We'll, we'll, we'll get more to this in a minute. Let's keep going. So going back to our text, verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So here's a valid question. Are there levels of punishment... According to the works being judged for the evil. Are there levels of punishment? Now the Bible doesn't speak real clear to this, but I believe there are. And I'll tell you why. Because if, if God is going to go to the prob, to, to the bother of recording a person's works, even evil works, if he's going to go to the bother of recording it and then playing it back for that person at the Great White Throne Judgment, why would he do that if there wasn't going to be a, an accountability for that? Or a punishment for that? I think that it can be said that the vilest of sinners, those rapists and those that have, you know, killed babies and you know the Hitlers and the Stalins of the world. I, I think, yeah, I think there's going to be a heavier punishment for those people than than the person that was just really a good guy, a good guy just lived on the street but didn't accept Jesus. I, I can't imagine that there would be a uh, that there would be the same level of punishment for the worst of the worst, and 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 not and and maybe that good guy getting the bad but but let me say it this way though too don't don't take it wrong from the perspective of the of that the least level of punishment in hell is going to be a good thing i <laughs> mean i mean at at minimum you're thrown into a lake of burning sulfur <laughs> i mean there's pain upon pain there there's no there's no re, there's no recourse there's no party in hell guys that's what i'm trying to say there's no party in hell there's no good thing to do in hell but I believe that there will be levels of punishment. How it can be worse than that, I don't know, but I'm just saying that I believe there will. So I don't I don't think it, we need to spend a lot of time there. That's not the point of this message. We don't need to understand all that. I just think that in God's righteousness that he will met out judgment as necessary and as as people are accountable for it. But I do know for sure that there will be levels of reward in heaven. I know that. I know that there will be people that will be, um, as the first will be last, and the last will be first, as is recorded. That there will be, we will be judged according to our works as righteous people and we will be given more jewels in our crowns or more authorities given if you take a look at the the parables of the uh, of the situations where there was um, money given and the stewards the good steward the bad steward and so forth and and the money taken from the bad steward was given to the good steward and so forth so more will be given to those that have and less will be taken away such things like that those are proofs that there will be rewards in heaven but That's not what the great white throne judgment is about. That's why I'm not spending a lot of time there today. The, The great white throne judgment is about only evil judgment. Something else I think that's important that we recognize here, that not only will this be a bad time, this will be the worst time in a person's life. And why I say it that way? Because people that are in that time of judgment, they're standing in that line, they're waiting for God's judgment, they will remember... Their life. We will remember our life in heaven. They will remember their life on earth. And there will be regret upon regret upon regret. Because anybody standing there that said, I had an opportunity to accept Christ and I didn't, are going to be regretting it like you can't believe. Because they're going to know I had opportunity. I had opportunity. And when God gives judgments that day, no one can blame God. Because truth will finally be revealed and understood as being right. They can't look at this and say, God, that's not fair. Because truth will be truth, and it will set them free. (laughs) It'll set them free in their mind because they can't then blame God because, God, why are you throwing me in hell? They're going to understand it for the first time that this is what I deserve. I deserve this punishment. But that's not going to take away the regret. It's not going to take away the shame. And I think that's the saddest part here is that at that point in time, it's going to be too late for them. It's going to be too late because they're going to, they're finally going to recognize that God's truth is what it is. They had many opportunities throughout life and they could have chosen differently and they didn't. Isn't that sad to think about that? I hope that this is the kind of stuff that motivates us now to, while we have the time, that we're making the choices right. And, you know, let me just say it this way, too. I, even, I believe, Bible-believing Christians and various churches and religions are trying to minimize God's eternal justice system because they just can't quite grasp it. I can't. I'll tell you right, I cannot grasp it. It's too much for me to think that there will be eternity of punishment. But just because I can't grasp it, It doesn't give me license to change it. It doesn't give me license to try to minimize it because maybe people don't want to hear it. God's righteous judgment system is so pure and so holy that our minds just can't bring it in. We just can't understand it. So for that reason, many religious organizations have changed it. They've twisted the truth, and they've minimized what they don't like to believe they want to make sin more acceptable to God. They want to make lifestyles more acceptable because they don't want to say, no, sin is sin. Living a, a life cohabitating, even if you're living in, um, you know, normal relationships between men and women, cohabitating is still wrong. It's not right. Neither is it right to be men with men and women with women. It's not right. And we need to say these things. But yet, Many times we don't like to say those things because it's not a popular message. And it doesn't bring the big crowds and it doesn't bring the big offerings and so forth. And it, it makes us a little bit more un, uncomfortable. But just because we're uncomfortable, though, it doesn't give us the right to change God's word. That's what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Are you agreeable to me on this one? It does. We don't have the right to change God's word. We've got to say it for what it is. And that, that really proves love. Jackie and Tom, would you come, please? The best thing that we can do for ourselves and other people, is to believe and live the truth of God's Word. As hard as it might be, as difficult as it may appear, the best thing we can do... See, a, a loving response to people is to speak the truth. A loving response to people is to warn them, is to show them, is to love them enough not to compromise and to give false hopes that all would be well in the end. How many times have you heard it when you when you listen to funerals for people that, again, were not the final judge, but sure, clearly by the fruit of their life didn't appear to be a believer, but yet people will say, oh, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. Well, not according to God's word. If they didn't receive Christ as their Savior, they're, they're not in a better place. But yet, people say that all the time because they want to minimize the truth of God's Word because it makes them feel better. It makes it appear to be more loving when we minimize God's righteous system. But that's anything but loving. We really are hurting the people that we love more and more if we're not clearly living before them, ourselves first, living in the truth, right, holding ourselves accountable, Living righteous and holy in our lives, we're not giving ourselves a buy either. John Wolford, a Bible teacher and author, he speaks this, and I want to read this as a clo- closing commentary here about the seriousness of God's judgment. And also, the more we see the seriousness of His judgment, we can appreciate the grace of His salvation. It's a great piece here. John Wolfert says, even, even, even Bible-believing Christians have tended to tone down the awfulness of eternal death for the unsaved. A thorough appreciation of eternal punishment, however, will in the end enhance the doctrine of God's grace and make his love all the more wonderful for those who enter into its truth. The only revelation that has been concerning the eternal state recognizes two destinies, one of blessedness in the presence of the Lord, the other of eternal punishment. Listen, the more we understand about God's righteous judgment of the evil, the more we can appreciate his wonderful grace and mercy to save us from it. That we can be saved from God's wrath. That's what Jesus came for. He came us to save us from his Father. Think about it that way. He came to save us from the wrath of his Father because he understood God's perspective of holiness and unholiness. And Jesus loved us enough to come to this world to save us from his Father's wrath. That doesn't make God a bad God. No, it doesn't at all. It just makes him holy and righteous. Like I said at the very beginning, everything God does is to redeem mankind. Everything he does is about our redemption. It doesn't make him an evil God. It doesn't make him an angry God. It makes him a righteous God. That's why we study revelation. That's why we study prophecy. That's why we can have comfort in this, and we can take great comfort when we go home today knowing that we're built on a solid foundation of Christ's rock, right? That's what we sang about. That's what we worshiped about today. It's the wise person that will listen. It's the wise person that will read and study God's Word. It's the wise person that will have a relationship with Christ and then make the the choices that assure us that. The question that we have for ourselves, are we that person? Are we doing that? Are we accepting Christ? And are we living the best we can? Are we inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to give us that power? To live appropriately. That's the question that we have to take away today. Whether you're here or listening online later this week. That's the question that we all have to have. that's the question we need to answer. Because that's what we're going to give account for. We're going to stand before God someday. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's bow our knees today. While we have the chance. Amen. Let's pray. Father we just come to you in Jesus name. And, Lord, we are so grateful that we have the truth of God's word here to give us good wisdom and guidance. And I pray, Father, for those that are listening to this message, whether they're here live today or down the road later, maybe online, God, that the Holy Spirit would just break through that technology barrier, wherever it's at, and would just come into our heart and give us a a sense of conviction and a sense of affirmation that either we need to have a red, we need to read, make some things right in our life or if we are redeemed that it would be a sense of your loved son your loved daughter God we want relationship and a relationship means we're going to have communication so teach us Holy Spirit convict us guide us keep us encourage us strengthen us do the work that you're sent to do we give you the authority to do that and we ask this all in Jesus name Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you will. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are singing as we prepare to go home today.
1: Father of life, seated on your throne of grace, it's only by your mercy
0: we are saved. we call Father, we just take this song really to heart today. Lord, that we do call out to you. We fall on your grace, knowing that it's your grace alone that has saved us. And God, I thank you for that. And now that we have, God, I pray that you give us the courage and the strength and the boldness to go into our world and invade our world with the kingdom of God. Let us be evangelists into this dark world today. God, let us just not complain about it. Let us just not be angry about it. But let us do what we can to change it. That we would go into the world and actually be a light, a guiding light of truth and love that would change those around us. God, we really long for your coming. We really long, Jesus, when you decide that it's over, it's time to come and get to church. God, we want to be that righteous remnant. We want to be that church. We want to be part of that capital C church that we are resurrected and we're we're taking and we're raptured out of this place. And we want to enjoy that time with you. But until that time comes, God, I pray you make us productive. I pray you make us effective. Give us the energy that we need. Re- rejuvenate us and just give us the joy of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, we need you so much. And we thank you for your mercies and your grace to us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed as you go today.